Do not be afraid. It seems like this is maybe an early lesson in angel school. When you meet a human being, she's going to be afraid of you. So before you launch into your message, try to put her at ease. Your first words are always, do not be afraid. Angels in the Bible know that line really well. It's how they always seem to start their speeches to people. Zechariah, Mary, the shepherds in the Bethlehem fields all heard the same thing. Do not be afraid. Heavenly messengers are never really expected, it turns out. They are always startling, always a surprise. And that is certainly the case on the first Easter morning. The two Marys have come to the tomb expecting one thing, and they have found something else entirely. They have come, of course, expecting to see a sealed burial place, a place to remember, a place to grieve, a place where the finality of death was as clear as can be. And what they have found instead is the ground shaking, the stone rolled aside, and an angel with a word to share. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. The angel brings the great news of this day, the news the church has been celebrating for 2,000 years. Christ is risen, and everything has changed. The unimaginable has happened. God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. The power of death has been broken. Jesus, who was crucified, is alive. In an Easter sermon 60-some years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have fit testimony that this earthly life is not the end, that death is just something of a turn in the road, that life moves down a continual moving river, and that death is just a little turn in the river, that this earthly life is merely an embryonic prelude to a new awakening, that death is not a period which ends this great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to more loftier significance. That is what it says. That is the meaning of Easter. If there is a day for joy in the church, this is it, because the Easter proclamation is pure gift, pure grace, pure joy. We can never exhaust the goodness of this message. The church has been celebrating for 2,000 years, and the celebration just goes on. The news of the resurrection is that profound and that simple. But the reactions of the women at the tomb are not that simple. Did you notice that? Matthew says that they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Turns out the angel's introductory lines about do not be afraid weren't quite enough. The fear isn't all gone. It's still there. Mixed in with joy, the two all swirled together. This is not how we tend to think of the Easter story. Largely, I think, because it is not how we tend to think of joy. The poet Ross Gay says, we often have this image of joy as a sort of perfect place, safely isolated from every other possible negative feeling or experience. Here's how he describes that common view. Joy, the thinking goes, is that room at the top of a flight of stairs that upon entering, washes you with clean air and glad music and comfy furniture and gentle warmth emanating from the white pine floors 
suffused with light pouring from the enormous windows with a sweet window seat where you can read a happy book. The joy room, the thinking goes, is snug with every good and nice and cozy thing. Sorrow can get nowhere near this fabled place, he goes on. It's kept safely at bay by lock after lock on a great heavy door. It sounds kind of ridiculous when he says it like that, but I have to admit I recognize the room he is describing. Maybe you do too. I think lots of us tend to think of joy this way, as an absolute state, as a magical sort of place that we could get to if we just have the right friends and the right hobbies and the right partner and the right house and the right job and enough money and, and, and. It sounds silly the way the poet says it. I mean, of course we know that place doesn't exist in this life. But we can be awfully devoted to the search for the joy room, can't we? This place where sorrow and worry and fear can't possibly come near. We can spend a whole lot of time trying to find it and a whole lot of money trying to buy it, only to find again and again that we're never quite there. So I'm interested this year to find that Matthew's description of Easter is something else. It is not the airtight joy room with 10 deadbolt locks on the door to keep out heartache, but it is joy and fear mixed together. At the center of Matthew's story is an earthquake. Just as the women approach the tomb, the ground beneath them shakes and the heavy stone that was blocking the entrance, the one that was carefully sealed by the powerful, rolls aside. It's clearly a sign of the significance of what has just taken place. Jesus' resurrection changes the fundamental order of things. Death no longer has the last word. It's not a period which ends the great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to more loftier significance. The icon that's on the cover of your bulletin this morning, with Jesus stamping down the gates of hell and hauling up those held in death's grip, aims to get at this great shift here. It is earth-shakingly good news that the women find. This is an earthquake of joy that they encounter. But the earthquake in this story today is not the only one that the two Marys have felt in the past few days. Matthew tells us that just as Jesus cried out and breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the earth shook and the rocks split. The ground beneath their feet moved then, too, though not with joy. That one was clearly an earthquake of loss. For all those who loved Jesus, who called him teacher and friend, the crucifixion was a wrenching experience. The foundations of their lives and their world seemed to shake. Everything was unstable. Everything was unsure. That's what grief is like, of course. It is a shock to the system, a profound disorientation. The rocks you depended on do seem to split. When the women feel the ground shaking beneath them on Easter morning, I have no doubt they were also still feeling the aftershocks of that Good Friday earthquake as well, still finding their feet in this new reality. It's no wonder they felt a whole jumble of things Easter morning. I'm sure there was grief and exhaustion and disappointment, and Lord only knows what else besides 
all mixed in with the fear and the joy. And that's actually how life is, isn't it? Even the most joyful of experiences, falling in love, welcoming a child into the world, accompanying a close friend, even they can be shot through with worry or fear. It's not either or, either perfect, untouchable joy or struggle and grief. No, that's not how joy works. Not in our lives, not even in the Easter story. And I think that matters. Because when we stop looking for joy as an absolute, as a dreamy, distant room where nothing else can come close, well, then we're free to welcome it in our messy and complicated and imperfect lives, just as they are. We are free to find joy and let it find us, here and now. The joy of the resurrection is here and now, and it is a thread to be woven deeply into our lives, through every experience, every worry, every fear, every thanksgiving, every sorrow, every gift. It doesn't do away with all those other things, but it does bind them together. It gathers them up in the assurance that new life is always God's promise. Always. Ross Gay has lots of other wonderful things to say about joy as well, including this. He says it brings us together. My hunch, he writes, is that joy is an ember for, or precursor to, wild and unpredictable and transgressive and unboundaried solidarity. It might depolarize us and de-atomize us enough that we can consider what in common we love. And though attending to what we hate in common is often all the rage and happens also to be very big business, noticing what we love in common and studying that might help us survive. Wow, do I love that. Can we imagine a world where joy draws us together, where we welcome its thread running through our lives, all the goodness there is to celebrate, woven in with the sorrow and the grief, and let that thread bind us to one another? Can we imagine a world where we attend to our common loves rather than our common hates? Easter begs us to try, because here we find joy for each of us and for all of creation. The women run to tell the disciples, who will run to tell others, who will run to tell others, the good news traveling from life to life and community to community and nation to nation, in all that we face, in all that we experience, in all that we know, the joy of the resurrection is there to be welcomed, drawing us together. It is here today, friends, for you, for all. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.